sharing good news of great joy to all people. Elation Church. This is week number six. Everybody say week number six. Week number six in our series that I've entitled Under the Umbrella. And why would I call it that? Well, here's the brief overview for those of you who haven't been with us. I believe when we live close to God, we live under the umbrella of God. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word umbrella because I don't think umbrellas were invented back then, okay? But what does an umbrella do? It protects us, right? And I believe when I look consistently through the word of God, that God, when God's people acknowledge him, as king and acknowledge him as Lord through the Old Testament and the New Testament that they can live under the umbrella of his blessing, protection, and provision. And that's where God wants us to live. Live our life every day, not just the little hour and a half that we come to church. Sometimes it's 45 minutes, sometimes it's two hours, it just depends. Not just during that time, but on Monday morning and on Friday night, too. Okay? And when we acknowledge him as king and acknowledge him as Lord, then we can partake of his blessings. Right? But how many of you, like me, every once in a while, you just decide to go your own way and do your own thing, and you become king? You're seated on the throne of your own heart. You are your own Lord. Now, see, if you want to be stuck in Sunday school with a little halo over your head, you're not going to admit it. But when you think reality, there are times when we're not acknowledging God in every single one of our lives. And when we do that, God wants us to acknowledge Him. He's not like well, you bad kid, now I'm going to hit you over the head with a sledgehammer. That's not God. Jesus gave us a picture of our good God who is a good father when he gave us a story of the prodigal son. Because the father was always looking. Every day he went out on his property and he looked over the horizon to see if his son was coming home. And one day, he saw him coming home. And what did he do? Did he say, yeah, you need to come back and kiss the ring and grovel. And, you know, if you work good like a slave for about five years, I might let you sleep in the house again. Is that what he did? No. <laughs> he ran and threw himself on his <laughs> My boy, I mean, it's like, as far as I knew, you were dead somewhere, but you've come home and you're alive. And he said, go get the robe. Not just a robe, the robe that only the sons would wear. Go get the ring that gave you the authority. Hello? Go get the ring that gave you the authority. And it's like, when you're wearing this ring, your word is just as good as my word. Let that sink in for a minute. Whew, I can't preach that message today. 
But this applies to you and to me. And go get him some shoes. Go get those things. Because my son is, is back home and alive. So when we move out from under this, it's not like God keeps us from coming back. No, he wants us to come back. He wants us to come to our senses and run back to him. But in the stories we've been looking at out of Judges, sometimes it's 20 years, sometimes it's seven years. The one today is seven years. But it was up to them when they came back because God wanted them back. And God wants you back and God wants me back anytime we run away from him. Hallelujah. 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 He doesn't say, oh, you've got to grovel for five years before I'll let you come back. That's right. He wants you back now. Now. So I want you to keep this picture in your mind as we look through the book of Judges. God's people did evil in the Lord's sight. That means that they turned away from God to do their own thing. And then they would come to their senses and then they would come back to God And when you come back to God, you live under the umbrella of his provision, protection, and blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I won't make you stand up here any longer. He'll stand here all day, he said. He'll stand here and hold that umbrella all day. All right. Thank you. And happy birthday again. (laughs) So I didn't advance the slides, but that's what I've been talking about, okay? God desires. He's always desired to be acknowledged as the king of his people. All throughout the Old Testament, acknowledge him as Lord, acknowledge him as king. And when we do that, we can live under the umbrella of his blessing, provision, and protection. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord, everybody say the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. It's a strong tower. And the godly are the righteous Is anyone righteous? If you're righteous, raise your hand. Don't make me preach this. Here's the deal. How many of you believe Jesus is righteous? Raise your hand. When you're in Christ, you are just as righteous as Jesus is righteous. Now that might hurt you if you get some bad theology floating around in there somewhere. And all of us have had some, well, not all of us, some of us have been blessed not to be having a bunch of bad theology that we have to get reprogrammed on. But the Bible says that we are, we become the righteousness of God when we are in Christ. So if you are a Christian, if you are born again, if you are in Christ, then you are just as righteous as Jesus is righteous because you are clothed in his righteousness, not in your righteousness anymore. That's amazing. That's good news. That's part of the good news. Part of the good news. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Who is righteous? If you're in Christ, you're righteous. 
And the name of the Lord is a strong fortress, a strong tower. And the godly or the righteous run to him and are safe. Because he's a strong fortress and he's a strong tower. I'm going to preach myself happy today. The name of the Lord, who is he? Now, I hope everybody knows this, but I can't take that for granted. God gives us a lot of names so that we can know who he is and what he does. It doesn't mean that there's like 40 different gods in the Bible. He is one. Revealed in three persons. One essence in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The one God. Okay? He is El Shaddai. He tells us that he is El Shaddai. What does that mean? I mean, it's all Hebrew to me. <laughs> but here's what it means. It means that he is the almighty God. And he is able to completely nourish, to completely satisfy, to completely supply. Are you completely nourished, completely satisfied, and completely supplied? If not, it's because you haven't taken hold of it. And God is not holding out on you. Because that's who he is and what he does. But if you say, well, Dean, I don't believe that. Well, guess what? If you don't believe it, you're not going to receive it. I want you to believe it. And I want you to take hold of it. And it doesn't really matter as much what I want as God wants you to believe it and take hold of it. He is Yahweh Jireh. How many of you have heard Yahweh Jireh before? If you haven't, have you heard of Jehovah Jireh? Well, the Hebrew, you know, there's no vowels and stuff. So, so I put it up that way. You know, most people like to stick with Jehovah Jireh, which is the, Vol the Latin Vulgate. Is that where it comes from? I think so. Anyway. A lot of people like to hold on to Jehovah because if you start saying Yahweh, it messes up all of our songs. <laughs> Yahweh Jireh, he is our provider. Yahweh Ra, he's a good shepherd. Good shepherd. What does a shepherd do for his sheep? Takes care of them. Leads them to the best pastures, leads them to the still water. He protects them. He loves his sheep so much that if one of them runs away, he'll leave the 99 and go get the one. He's a good shepherd. He is Yahweh Nisi. He is our banner of identity. Right? Because the flag represents the kingdom. Right? As long as the flag is over the fort and it's your flag, that means you, you're in control of the fort. So, God is our banner. He's our banner of identity as we are in Christ and joint heirs with Christ. 
He is our banner of victory because as long as God's flag's up, we're winning. <laughs> New Testament, Matthew 23, 37. I hope you don't get tired of hearing these because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. The first time you hear it, it's just planted. The second time you hear it, it's watering what has been planted. The hundredth time you hear it, it's still watering. How often Jesus is saying this as he looks over Jerusalem and, and cares for the people who claim to be God's people. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. So it's not just all up to God, is it? Hello, come on. I know this might twist your, what you thought it was, but I mean, just, there it is. It's not all up to God. They wouldn't let him because they wouldn't recognize him. They wouldn't honor him as God and recognize him as Lord and recognize him as king. They would not let him. So just like they did not let him, just like in, in the judges where God's people always, I mean, we can still move out. Let's don't. Let's run to God and let's stay close and acknowledge him as king and acknowledge him as Lord. Judges 17, 6, in those days, talking about the days and the whole book of Judges, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. They were just living by the rule, if it feels good, do it. If I think it's right, then as long as I can convince myself mentally that it's the right thing, then I'm just good to go with it. The Bible tells us that there's a way that seems right, but the end is death and destruction. So we don't live our lives by what seems right. We live our lives by what is right because God has laid out for us what is right. Seems like I can't force you to say amen, so I'll just keep going. <laughs> Unlikely heroes up until now. We've looked at Othniel. He's 75 years old. If we got together and voted, we wouldn't pick a 75-year-old man to lead the charge with a sword. It's not like, you know, we don't want the, the person who, like, just wants to retire and move to Florida to be, you know. We want the strong, the strongest 30-year-old to lead the charge because that's what this is talking about. It's not talking about a judge that's like sitting in a robe in a courtroom. It's talking about a military leader and not leading from the back or from the sidelines or from the office somewhere, but leading the charge. And we would not have picked a 75-year-old man to do that in our society today, right? Right? 
Ehud. The Bible tells us that his right hand was closed up. So we can see that he's most likely handicapped. And we wouldn't pick a handicapped person to lead the military charge. Unlikely hero. Then we looked at Shamgar. Just a farmer. Not a warrior. As a matter of fact, he couldn't even run to the house and get a sword and he killed hundreds of trained Philistine warriors with an ox goad. Just a farming tool, a long stick with a point on one end, probably a scraper on the other end to scrape the mud off his farming utensils, his tools, and he, he killed hundreds of Philistines. Then we have Deborah. Wouldn't put, a, wouldn't put a lady out in the front with a sword, but we looked at Deborah and J.L. last week. I guess you have to be my age to know what I said, but I said she's a bad mamma jamma. Anyway, does anybody remember that song? She took a tent peg and nailed it through Sisera, who is the captain of the army. She nailed his head to the ground. Housewife. And Deborah got the credit. Deborah and J.L. got the credit. We found out the person who was supposed to get the credit didn't have enough trust in God. So God said, you're not going to get the credit. Now, last week we opened up our next judge. His name's Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Let's, for those of you who aren't here, let's try to hit the ground running. Judges 6, verses 1, 4, and 6. We read more verses last week. But again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So they move out from under his umbrella of blessing and provision and protection. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. When we step out from under and step away from God, he, you know, he, want, he doesn't want us to and he wants us to come back, but it's like he's saying, well, see how that works out for you. Never works out too good. They left the Israelites, these Midianites, these distant cousins. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, all the goats, all the cattle, all the donkeys. And I remind you, you can't just run to Walmart or Aldi or Publix and get your groceries. That didn't exist back then. You had to have your own animals and your own farm and plant your own gardens or at least produce something that you could trade for. it. Like, I'll give you milk if you give me wheat. So, Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. The Bible told us that they left all the towns and cities They hid in caves and strongholds and and in the woods. Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then, after seven years, the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. God was patiently waiting for his people to return. And every time when God's people turned to him, He puts a plan of deliverance into motion. 
Now, last week we talked about his first step in deliverance. This time was a prophet who reminded them of God's faithfulness and God's goodness before we were introduced to Gideon. God called another unlikely hero, and it's Gideon. But Gideon was an unlikely hero because in Judges 6.15, we looked at this last week, he said, my clan, my family, my extended family, we're the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. So he was, I mean, I said this, y'all don't laugh, but I think it's funny. Even his little sister could beat him up. He's like, God said, mighty hero, mighty warrior. And he says, who are you talking to? I'm afraid and hiding and just trying to get some bread for me and my family. But God saw him as he could be if he would surrender and yield to God. And that's the way God sees us. He sees us as who we can be. If we'll just put our trust and confidence in him, it's amazing what you can be in the kingdom of God. Let's keep going. Not only was Gideon, now that's all the recap, not only was Gideon the weakest person from the weakest family, there's another major reason that we're going to see today why Gideon would be an unlikely hero other than being a weakling. Judges 6, 25 is where we're picking up. That night, after what we talked about last week of him bringing an offering to the angel of the Lord, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Everybody say seven years old. How long had God's people been doing their own deal? Seven years. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Seven years. To God, the seven-year-old bull represented the amount of time his people had turned their back on him and abandoned him. So that was an appropriate offering for him to make, to sacrifice one year of the bull for one year of the rebellion. But to the people, that seven-year-old bull, the seven years represented the fruit of worshiping Baal. The Bible talks about as long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed, time, and harvest. And they had sowed for seven years in Baal worship. And the fruit of it, of not acknowledging God, was starvation. Let's keep going. See, Gideon was an unlikely hero because everybody in town went to his house to worship Baal. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not. But God came to Gideon and, and wanted Gideon to be the next judge, the next military leader. But everybody in town went to his house to worship Baal. 
Hello? He said, pull down your father's altar to build. Cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Here's the deal. We don't have to clean up to come to God and come to Jesus. I've talked to people who said, well, you know, I'm just not good enough to ask Jesus to forgive me. And some people think that they have to, they have to work all this self-righteousness before they're good enough to come to Christ. Maybe you've never thought of that before, but I've met a lot of people who have communicated that to me. Well, the good news is we don't have to clean up to come to Jesus and all of us came messed up and broken and filthy and dirty. I mean, all of us came the same way. So we don't clean up before we come to him. Let me tell you something. If you want to live under his umbrella of blessing and provision and protection, and if you, if you want to make a difference for God's kingdom in this world, see, a lot of people could care less if they made a difference for the kingdom of God in this world, but God calls us ambassadors. We are priests unto our God. We are representatives of the kingdom of God in this world. That's who God has called us to be when we are in Christ, every single one of us. And if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to deal with some of those issues in our lives. I want you to think about it. What would have happened if Gideon would have led God's people to overthrow their oppressors and victory over the Midianites. And then right after that, he went back home and everybody went to Gideon's house to worship Baal. Sometimes we just read this stuff and we don't think about it. Right? What would that have looked like? Come on, somebody, think about it. Use your brain. What does that look like? For Gideon to be the hero, God's hero, and then right after it's over, we all run back to his house and worship Baal. Can anybody see a problem with that? I think it's easy to see. If the altar to Baal had not been torn down, there would be confusion. Confusion in Gideon's words and actions. Now, we're not going to talk about you. We're going to talk about somebody else. Is that okay? We're going to talk about somebody who's not here just for a minute. Has anybody ever heard some people talking and you weren't involved in the conversation and they were talking about, well, that, you know, this person they say they're a Christian and they say to go to church. But I live better than they do. Has anybody ever heard that? Or did I just have like sensitive ears or something? I mean, it's like, God help us take hold of this today. There shouldn't be confusion in what we say 
compared to how we live. There's a lot of people who are not in church today because of the way people that they know that go to church, because of the way they act. There's a lot of people who aren't in church this morning. Now remember, I'm not talking about any of you. I'm talking about all those other people that we know, right? Because there's so much confusion. So much confusion. You know? I say that I go to church and I say that I'm a Christ follower, but then I'm the meanest person. Hello? I'm the ugliest person. I'm the least forgiving person. Somebody say, oh, oh me or something. Oh, me. Oh, me. oh them. Maybe, oh, them, because we're not talking about me. We're quick to make excuses, aren't we? We got to stop making excuses for the issues in our lives for the sake of our family, for the sake of our friends, for the sake of the kingdom of God. We've got to stop making excuses and we've got to repent. I've been in a lot of services where I thought repenting was, you know, we're going to repent, so we're going to open up the altar and everybody's going to get on their knees and everybody's going to cry and sling snot and all this stuff. It's just like, oh God. <laughs> Has anybody ever been to a service like that before? Come on. I've been to one down there on my hands and knees slinging snot and, you know, trying not to get. I've been down there before. The problem is, there's been times when I've done that when I've had no no intention of changing. And I know you, like, I can't believe the preacher didn't really have an intention of changing. And I mean, I don't think I'm the only one in the room that's ever dealt this before. God's not as concerned with your brokenness during an invitation as he is your repentance because when you get up you change you turn around and go the other way that's what is gonna make God smile real big and say that's my kid that's my kid so we got to we've got to deal with our issues we got to deal with it we can't and it, it goes even farther. It's, it's like we say that we're Christians, but then we, you know, we just act like everybody else. We feel like everybody else. We talk like everybody else. We... See, God's already forgiven you. So it's real easy when I'm talking, when I'm talking today, to step over into some legalism thing. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way other people see us is going to determine whether they want to encounter our God or not. 
and for the for the sake of those people if we're going to make a difference in the kingdom of God it's not by putting a bumper sticker on the back of our car and driving like the craziest person in the world on I-4 we have I talked about that enough are we good Build an altar to the Lord your God here on this mountaintop sanctuary. This place where everybody came to your house to worship Bill, I want you to tear it down and I want you to build an altar right in the same spot. Lay the stones very carefully. Sacrifice the bull, that seven-year-old bull that represented the seven years you've been away from me. Sacrifice that bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Here's the deal. God didn't want any confusion. And when we came back from victory, there's not going to be an altar for anybody to think to thank Bell for their deliverance. Hello? The praise for the deliverance from the Midianites is going to go to the Lord. It's going to go to God. There's a new altar of worship. There's a return to God. And that's part of what the deliverance has come from, is turning to God. So, verse 27, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night. <laughs> Look to the person beside you and say, he did it at night. Yeah, he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. God wants us to stand up for him. Sometimes, when we stand up for God, we're going to be thinking now, how, how are my friends going to act after I take a stand for God? How, how's my neighbor going to act if I take a stand for God? How, how are my coworkers going to act if I stand up for God? Am I going to be shunned? Am I going to be persecuted? Or am I going to be made fun of? Gideon did it at night. And we're not talking about being made fun of. We're going to find out what they did, what, how they responded, right? Sometimes we have to do it afraid. Do it in the unknown. We have to stand up for God. And what I'm telling you can go a different path. It can go to legalism and it can go to mean Christians. I'm going to take for stand. I'm going to take a stand, bless God. Y'all a bunch of heathens. I'm standing for God. You, you a heathen. Maybe you've never experienced mean Christians before. Can anybody look at the New Testament and see that the Pharisees were pretty mean? They got pretty mean at times. But did Jesus say that the world's going to know who we are because we're mean and ugly and taking a stand and acting like everybody, you know, we're just better than everybody else? 
Did Jesus want us to be like real self-righteous and mean to everybody? That's how everybody's going to find out that we are Christians? Is that what he said? No, he didn't. And in our world, we hear reports even on the news about just mean-spirited Christians. They're, they're claiming the name of Christ, but they're just mean and ugly and hateful. But the Bible says that the world is going to know that we are Christ's followers because the love of Christ is being shed abroad from our lives and from our hearts. It's love. It's love. So we can take a stand for the truth, but we take a stand in love. Are you with me? If it's not in love... It's not right with God. I'm going to say that again. If it's not love, if it's not coming from love, foundation in love is not coming from God because God is love. And the world's going to know that we are Christ's followers by our love, His love shed abroad in our hearts and in our lives. So, sometimes we got to do it afraid, not knowing how people are going to respond. And like I said, Gideon's town didn't respond. I mean, it wasn't like they just went and egged his house. Verse 28. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built. On this altar were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. They went to Gideon's house and they said, hey, Joash, bring out your son, verse 30. Bring him out. The men of the town demanded that Joash get Gideon to come out. And listen to what they said. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. We're going to kill him. Has anybody ever took a stand for God and people wanted to kill you because of it? They gonna kill you. I've had some friends in different parts of the world that have, they said if they caught them, they're gonna kill them. But that's that's not what our experience is for the most part. But you can count on something when you take a stand for God. There's gonna be some people who don't like it. <laughs> Everybody's not gonna celebrate you. Oh, I'm so. So proud of you for standing for God and that a boy, that a girl. You know, it's, it's like people are going to get upset. Even if you take a stand in love, some people are still probably going to get upset. Matthew 5.10, Jesus said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. 
The kingdom of heaven is theirs. The people who are persecuted for doing the right thing. Now, it's one thing to get persecuted for doing the wrong thing, but persecuted for doing the right thing. God blesses you when people mock you, when they persecute you, when they lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Not because you are mean, but because you're my followers. All these people, they're lying about you, they're persecuting you, they're mocking you. And what did he say? When that happens, you just need to be all messed up and twerked. And... Is that what he said? He said, be happy about it. Don't freak out about it. Be happy about it. Be very glad, very glad. Because when that happens, you have set up for the reward banquet in heaven. There's a reward that's awaiting you. Verse 31. We're about done. Look to the person beside you and say, we're about done. We're about done. Got to come back next week for the rest of the story. Judges 6, 31. Joash, Gideon's dad, who had built the altar to Baal and built the Asherah pole and had everybody in town coming to his house to worship the God of the imaginations or the gods of the imaginations of the Canaanites. Here's what he said. He shouted at the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Are you going to be on Baal's side? Are you going to argue your case for Baal? Are you going to argue Baal's case? You're going to kill my son. You want to kill my son. And then he says, whoever pleads Baal's case will be put to death by morning. Now this is a man who built the altar. But this is also the man who went through seven years of starvation. And maybe at this moment, he put two and two together. (laughs) Right? Maybe Gideon told him about the prophet. Maybe he heard the prophet Reminding God's people about the faithfulness of God. Hello? We don't know if he was there or if he just heard about it. But maybe that stirred something on the inside of him. And then his son takes a stand. And you know what? Because his son took a stand, it helped him to take a stand. Right in the face of the persecution. Here's what he said. Look. Why are you going to defend Baal? If Baal is a God, let him defend himself. Let let Baal take care of it. This is between my son and Baal. So if if Baal is real and not just a God of people's imaginations, he can defend himself. You don't have to defend him. Let him destroy the one who broke down his altar. Don't you do it. Here's the deal. Your obedience, when you take a stand, when you take a stand in your home, when you take a stand in your community, when you take a stand at your workplace, and it's a stand in love 
stand for God, when, when you take that, there's going to be other people who are inspired. Some people are going to be mad, but other people are going to be inspired. And in this case, it was the son taking the stand and the father is the one who got inspired by the stand of his son. So I want to encourage you. You know, every single one of us are going to have an opportunity to take a stand for God in love. Don't ever take a stand for God in meanness or hatefulness. Realize and be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart about some things that may be in your life that are a bad testimony to the people around you. And, you know, when you try to give God the, God the praise for, for the victory and the triumph and the peace and the joy that you have, don't let there be some obvious issue in your life that's going to cause them to say... Huh? Like they're confused? It's like, what? Because people, see, people who don't even know Christ have an idea of what, who Jesus is and that his people should act like him. I don't know where they get it from, but they've got an idea right, about how somebody who's in love with Jesus and following Jesus and Jesus is Lord. I mean, even people who don't know him expect followers of Christ to be a little bit different, be a little peculiar. It's okay to go ahead and smile right now because I'm done. I wish I had a big mirror so you could look at your face just then. It's like... Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for showing us the things that we've seen in your word today. And I pray that your word has been planted in the good soil of our hearts because we, we love you and we want to follow you and live for you in a broken world. We want to represent you. So I pray that your word would be planted in the good soil of our hearts and it will grow and it'll produce a harvest in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This online worship experience was brought to you by the friends and partners of Elation Church.